to Titillating Talks. And we're busting fitness myths. I'm Laura. I'm Hallie. And this is Titillating Talks. We're best friends and we're busting fitness myths. And sharing honestly. Welcome. Hi, Laura. Hi, Hallie. How are you? I'm good. Just sipping on some kefir. Oh, <laughs> nice. And I'm sipping on some tea. Mm. Is it decaffeinated? It's not. It's caffeinated. I felt like I needed a little bit of caffeine this morning. You know, you know Wait, how it hold is. On. Why did your whole tone like, like it went from being really happy with like when I called out the fact that it may or may not be caffeinated. It turned into like a, it's not. I don't know. I guess I felt like I had to defend myself, my reasoning <laughs> for drinking caffeine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't drink a lot of caffeine. I just drink black tea, matcha lattes sometimes, you know, that kind of stuff. But mostly I drink herbal tea. I'm a big herbal tea drinker. Yeah, I I think either one. They're neutral. It's just tea. You're, yeah, it's you tea. Your tea. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> curious. I just wanted to know, is it caffeinated, decaffeinated, you know? Do your thing, girl. It's black tea. It's delicious. Mm, <laughs> I don't drink a lot of, I drink, I don't drink a lot of tea. I drink some ginger tea sometimes. Mm, okay. Yeah, and I um have started making these uh I don't know like I started like immunity bombs. It's trending on okay Instagram, and it kind of like influenced me. Uh, so it's two tum- fresh turmeric, fresh ginger, uh, some lemon, and you like put it in a mold and freeze it. Oh, and then you okay. put hot water over it, and then you have like this automatic like ginger tea situation. It's delicious. Mm, that sounds and really think, nice. Yeah. And I think it helped with the cold situation that I had over the weekend for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You sound a lot better. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Laura and I got, I don't know uh, <laughs> if anyone else has had a cold this season, but Laura just had, you know, a sinus infection. And we got on a call the other day to hear her voice because she was like, I have to prove it to you. I'm sick. <laughs> listen to how I sound (laughs) and she did sound very congested (laughs) not just canceling I I need you to know I'm not just canceling because I prepared so much yeah no I trust you don't worry I'm never gonna (laughs) but like the thing that's crazy you know sinuses these illnesses really blow my mind because I tell you I was so congested on like Saturday and then Sunday and then Suddenly I woke up Monday morning and it was like nothing had, I mean, definitely things had happened, but like, it was almost like it hadn't happened. Like Mm. suddenly I had like full autonomy of my nasal passage. I was like, what, what is this? I can breathe again. Like I, but what changed? I was like, I couldn't really understand what had changed so drastically. Cause when you heard me, I could barely, I was breathing out of my throat. I was like choking on food while I was eating dinner because I had to keep my mouth open. So Oh boy. (laughs) It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. Bless me, the nostrils, man. (laughs) Bless me. Yeah. It's never fun being sick. No, definitely not. You know, it's interesting, right? Because we talked about immunity and sleep, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about how when you don't sleep well and you don't sleep, what was the statistic? Words. What was the statistic? Was what I was trying to say. Um, 
I think it was that you're 50% more likely to get the common cold if you don't sleep well enough, right? When you don't sleep seven to nine hours. Yeah, like if you didn't, I'm like looking at my notes. Like if you didn't sleep seven hours regularly every night, yeah, you were like seven times more likely to get a cold than somebody who is getting regular sleep. Right. The interesting thing was like, while obviously, hello, I couldn't breathe. So then I couldn't sleep. And it felt like at some point it was like amplifying it, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was making it worse. And I was like, oh my God, I'm my own statistic. Like I can't sleep. I had to take melatonin to pass melatonin. 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 Yeah. Melatonin. (laughs) To pass out. Cause I like literally was just like there, like mouth open, lips dry, like putting chapstick on. (laughs) It was, it was. It was an experience. I don't get sick often. So when it does happen, I'm very confused about why my body is going through what it's going through. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you made it through it. I did make it through it. I did make it through it. And I'm I'm really excited to be able to breathe again. And, you know, I imagine that during your few days of sickness and feeling gross and being congested, that food was a priority for yourself to, you know, eat nutrient dense things, right? Like tell us about what you ate while you were sick. Oh, um, so because I'm in the middle of, like I was in the middle of researching for today, I was being really, um, calculated about what I was eating more so than I had previously kind of based off of this quote that I came across, which was eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Mm. And that was kind of dictating what I was eating. So I I think it was less about the cold dictating what I was eating and more about this like little thing I had in the back of my head that I I needed to eat more plants, but that might've, you know, that could have helped too. And I think maybe like the ginger bomb situation, which again is a plant, right? Like all these like vegetables and fruit that I was kind of focusing on. Not to mention I was like sucking down water, like, like water may be a, yeah like a limited resource, which it is, but <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I, I couldn't get enough water. And I think that that probably made a big difference. Like I had like back-to-back sessions on Monday and for like four hours straight. And I just was like, I must've chugged like 80 ounces of water the entire time I was sitting down. Cause I just kept getting up and like filling up like a big 20 ounce glass, you know, mm-hmm. and then like needing more. Yeah. I think the water, the water, water the definitely vegetables. helps. Yeah. The, the hydration. Yeah. Micronutrients, vitamins. Yeah. Like, and you know, just getting my like microbiome to kind of, I guess, eat and push things out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah. I've learned a lot about poop lately. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So like, we're continuing our conversation, right, about optimizing and maximizing health um, and things that we could be doing. And we decided that this week we were going to talk all about nutrition, um, but kind of from two different, <laughs> very different ends of the spectrum, where you're talking, uh, Hallie's talking more about food intake. Yeah, I'm talking right. more about like nutrients calories kind of like the science or biology of food a little bit and how to optimize that for a longevity 
And then Laura is going to be talking about gut health and basically discovering with us the microbiome, right? In our gut. Yeah. The microbiome, macro, micro bacteria. And, you know, like it should be said that uh, there's so much information out there. A lot of it is bullshit, you know, in terms of like what you're hearing um, about like diets and like what you should eat and um there is no such thing as like the perfect way of eating again refer back to what i was saying before i think the guy's name was like michael michael poland he has a a book and a lot of different articles but you know eat food what's the perfect diet food Mm -hmm. (laughs) not too much (laughs) mostly plants and you know you can kind of individualize that uh based on how your body reacts to things but the interesting thing that i was coming across was this idea that it's actually really hard for people to figure out that nuance especially in western industrialized nations mm-hmm. because it it's really loose that's kind of vague right it's like oh just eat food and figure it out but a lot of the food that is available to us and we have so much available right now so many choices right and especially in western countries what is available is you know processed highly processed foods we're yep. talking about, you know, high fat food, high sugar, um, high, high fat, sugar, high which, amounts know, of preservatives. Yeah. Right. And like those things, we're hardwired as humans to want those things. And like, why not? They're delicious. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's really challenging for most of us to just figure it out, right. And go along the way and have self-control. So, you know, what I was coming across was that this idea of adhering to really restrictive diets is actually much easier for most people Mm -hmm. because there's rules, right. And like, I have to just eliminate this thing. And then I just like focus on that or I just, you know, add this thing in and and then I focus on that and that becomes much easier for people to adhere to. Um, you know, which is fine, right? Like that's a neutral thing of that. If you choose a diet that tells you, you need to eliminate things, if it's a lifestyle choice, if it's a social choice, cause you feel bad about eating animals cause you love the earth or whatever, like those are, that's neutral. Like that's fine. That's your, that's your choice. But there's certain things that you have to still incorporate where you should incorporate into your diet so that the microbacteria that live inside of you are diverse and the microbiome is is literally the place where they all chill right like and you want to make sure that like it's nice and cushy and all these like little microbes that are inside of you are having a good time um because there are a lot of pathologies that can come out of not having a gushy nice microbiome which sounds weird to say or you know just not having enough of microbiome and it's interesting because the microbacteria from what we know they don't have brains so they don't choose to make things you know move or to to do things they just do things right um and the idea is that if they're not finding it in one place they'll go to another place but because the ph balance from place to place inside of your gut differs that's where we start to see metabolic issues and like pathologies and cancers you know come into play because they've kind of moved on trying to find something like some literally some other feces <laughs> you know yeah. they're trying to find something else and they can't find it and so they start to you know flare up or inflame that area but you yeah. know we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of that so can i just interject real quick totally yeah so I why i yelled at you i'm sorry no it's okay <laughs> so i personally have a very interesting 
history, like my personal relationship with food and diet and calorie restriction. And basically I've self-diagnosed myself with orthorexia, which is basically, it's an eating disorder that focuses so much on the health content of food that you get obsessed with being healthy and eating only healthy things and eliminating and restricting everything else that's not healthy. So for me, it took a long time to realize because I was vegan for almost 11 years that my gut issues that I was having were because of the restriction and because of the elimination of so many things that I wasn't eating because I basically over the years started to restrict and restrict and restrict because, oh, I think it's this food that's bothering my stomach. Oh, I think it's that food that's bothering my stomach. And, you know, I want to be vegan because I love animals, but also secretly because it makes me lean and small. So that's another motivating factor. So I just want to put out there that as someone who has had a very, you know, long history and kind of complicated history with food that, you know, doing the work and going to therapy and, you know, like making it a priority to give yourself the fuel that you need is super important. So I just want to say out there to people, take the time to reflect on why you're eating the way you're eating. Make sure you put your health a priority first, because that's what's most important. You know, it's not really about how you look and, you know, how lean you are because you know the science behind it really is like over restriction and being in a constant caloric deficit for a long period of time really does lead to illness and sickness and disease just as much as if you were you know to be eating you know 5000 calories a day on a long term basis so just want to put it out there that the topic of food, like you said, is complicated and there's a lot of like societal and cultural inputs that we have with food and like how to eat and things like that. But like you said, I think that, you know, the best type of food is food and, right. um, and, you know, making it a priority to feel good is really the best thing that you can do for yourself. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize that. And I just hope that other people out there, if like you're not feeling good about the way that you're eating and you're doing it for, you know, certain reasons, but your body doesn't feel good, like listen to your body. There's definitely cues that you need to take from your body to make sure that, you know, you're going to live a long and healthy life. Because I know that if I had continued eating the way that I did, I probably would have eventually gotten really, really sick. So I just want to say, like, take care of yourself, people. Yes. Um, which, you know, kind of jump words into a different topic about mindset and, yeah. and uh, food. You know, there's been really interesting studies um, or mindset of your body, right, we'll say. There's been studies. There were two studies that Andrew Uberman talked about in his podcast. Um, you know, one of them was these workers that worked at a hotel one group was told that it was like, you know, just their job to like do this thing. The other group was told like, oh, you know, you using your body for labor is actually really good for your health um, and, you know, keeps you moving and it's like good for your heart. And, you know, the list goes on of whatever it is that they told them. And it's almost like a, a mental placebo. Mm -hmm. 
they showed markers of being healthier when they started doing all the blood work on them later on. And there was another one with like milkshakes, right? Like one group was told that they were drinking really high caloric milkshakes and another group was told that they weren't um, and they were drinking the same thing. And the people who who believed that they were drinking the higher caloric, you know, uh, uh, milkshakes showed the markers of somebody who was eating more calories, right? Mm. And also the same feedback of like somebody who would be eating more sugar, but they weren't, (laughs) you know? And and so like, you can't force, you can't like, I think his example was poison, right? Like you can't like drink poison and convince yourself it's not poison, right? Like there has to be a certain level of like naivete, right? Going on with whatever the thing is. Yeah. Um, but right, if you believe that the food is not good for you, um, or the converse, if you think it's great for you, your body is going to, you're just going to crave that thing, right? You're just going to like crave it or not crave it, but you're, you're going to believe what you tell yourself about the food, which we've talked about the voice in our heads. <laughs> right. Very, that's, that's an ongoing conversation around here is listening to the voice in our head and, yeah. and talking back oh to Oh my it. God. There were so many times when I was vegan where I was like, yeah, like meat doesn't smell appetizing to me, like, you know, and like I had told myself that over the years of being vegan, but like now, (laughs) now that I'm eating animal products again, you know, like those things smell delicious. And like, you know, my first time eating chicken again, I was like, this is so amazing. Like, why have I been depriving myself of something that tastes so good, you know? And like, so just, you know, that mind shift uh, was a big thing for me. So, and it, and it's moderation, right? Like, yeah. And, and that's a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. but it comes down to like, it's like soda, right? Like I think I went for a while not drinking soda. Cause I was like, Oh, chemicals. But soda is delicious <laughs> <laughs> because maybe the chemicals, but also like sugar, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. do I drink soda every day? No. Do I drink it every month? Maybe I might probably have a soda a month yeah. and that, you know, that's the arrangement that I've made currently in my life with myself, which is like, yes, you are allowed to have a Coca-Cola once every like four weeks. That's okay. You know what I mean? And I don't fall into a camp that says it's going to like kill me. I also don't fall into the camp that says it's okay to drink it every day. Right. It's just, this is what works for me so that I can get a little taste of Coca-Cola products. You know what I mean? What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Sprite is delicious. I don't know. Oh my God. Called. Give me a good root beer. And I am oh in my heaven. God. I love root beer. In Ugh. the summer, there's like a lobster place, the Red Hook Lobster Pound. Uh, and they have like all these like fresh made like sodas, like berry types. I don't even know what they mm. are. They're so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> because sugar. But anyway, so, so the brain, your body, your gut, they're all connected. Um, it's the reason why food, right? You can get excited by food or you can get really grossed out by food. That's co- obviously a connection of your brain and your emotions to the thing that you're seeing or you're smelling. You can have, uh, there's a biological circuit, right? Where the n- nerves or endings that are in the gut communicate to the nerve endings in your brain and it can go both ways. So there's like this constant mm-hmm. communication happening. Um, also, you know, there's that phenomenon of like a gut feeling you know, and like, I feel it in my gut, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, like, I, yeah, I don't, trust, I don't trust this guy, right? Um, Often, we're talking about our stomach, I think, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nerves are actually in our intestines. 
oh. uh, that are that are feeling that and communicating back to our brain to get away from the sketch ball, right? Like mm. <laughs> that, that's the gut. Also, could should should point out that the gut starts in your mouth uh, and goes all the way down to your anus, and it's its own like self um, enclosed system. Uh, it's amazing. I don't know if you've done cadaver work ever. Have you seen? I that? haven't done cadaver work i would be interested actually i think it's pretty awesome like i don't get grossed out by that kind of stuff like when i did the in biology class in high school we had to you know dissect a dead fetal pig and i found it really interesting like i didn't get grossed out like all the other girls in class were like ew i'm gonna throw up and i was like this is cool so (laughs) Um, yeah so like you know the cool thing about the digestive tract i guess right or the gut is that it doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it communicates with other parts, but it's not connected to other parts. You know what I mean? Mm. It's its own tubing where like things can't get in and nothing can get out, which is, you know, why having erosion of the lining and uh, leaky gut and all these other things are really detrimental to your health. Um, but the other thing, you know, it's just how big it is because it's all kind of like mushed up and coiled around in our trunk and our torso and so if you were to lay it out it's like nine meters long yeah um, which is really really long because a a meter is like 3.3 feet I think right so that's like Uh, 27 almost 30 feet yeah right which is which is really long so um the other cool information that I found uh is that you know in terms of your micro so there's microbacteria they live inside of the microbiome right and the microbiome is literally the track, right? It's everything from your mouth all the way down to your anus. The pH changes as you go down. Some of them are more acidic than others, right? The different micro bacteria are going to be able to survive in different places. Uh, most of the time, you don't want a lot of this intermixing, which is, you know, what I was saying about like pathologies and whatnot. Like you, you know, you want, you want them to be sustained in the place that they're in. Um, you get a lot of your initial micro bacteria from birth. So if you were born vaginally versus C-section, that's going to have an effect on your body, right? On your microbiome. Mm-hmm. Who was touching you? Did you have skin to skin? Remember, this is going to be not, uh, well, not remember because I didn't say it. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the way that you get the bacteria in you, the obvious way, right, is like in your mouth, right? Mm-hmm. But also from touching, which is why skin to skin matters, right? Yeah. Um, so you're picking up bacteria from people. If you have animals in the house, that's going to affect things. If you were breastfed, if you're not breastfed, right, that's going to affect your microbiome. And that just continues until you get older, right? So like who you're around, what your social life is like, what you do, what you think, what you feel, that's all going to affect your microbiome, which I thought was like really fascinating. Um, so like, you know, the eating influences it, but it's also breathing in through your nose, kissing, uh, touching other people, you know, who you choose to have sex with, all that stuff is going to affect your microbiome. Because even though we only are thinking about like nutrients going in the mouth and coming out the anus, there's all these other ways to get into mm. our body mm-hmm. that aren't uh, related just to that tube, right? There's like right. other ways you're getting in. And then, but, so I'm sure you're going to yeah. get into this, but like, what are what are like the most common symptoms? Like if someone's wondering, like, is my microbiome unbalanced? What are those symptoms? So here's the other thing about all of this. And I think that this is where people get really tripped up 
is that it's wildly individual. Mm -hmm. Um, so your microbiome and microbacteria are even more diverse than humans are as a, as a being, right. Where we have like different fingerprints and different, whatever, like then within us, we all have like wildly different microbiomes. So you, Mm. you, you can't just like say like, Oh, well here again, this is why this like rhetoric of there's no perfect diet or like a perfect diet doesn't exist because you can't assume to know how someone's going to react to something until they eat it and then they, and then they react to it right right which is why like children right with allergies it's mm-hmm. so important you know introduce things once yeah i don't know once every 3 days or something or once every 5 days so that you can get a full uh idea of like what their reaction is going to be for yeah. things that tend to be higher on the allergen scale. Yeah, we're doing that with Archie right now. We did strawberries, we've done peanut butter, we did eggs. He had a negative reaction to egg whites. Mm. So that's interesting. So we're going to try again in another few months because it's one of those ones that you kind of grow out of by the end of the first year. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to eat egg whites in a few months. (laughs) Well, cross fingers. Maybe. Um, Yeah. 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 Uh, You know, yeah, it's, it's just one of these things that like, it's hard to give a straight answer and say like here here are the symptoms however here are some things that can go wrong okay (laughs) inflammation and that's like all encompassing right it can be you being you can have like eczema you Mm. can have you know bloating right inflammation of your organs you can be uh, inflamed in your joints right certain foods will affect that unwanted weight gain or weight loss right that that could be an indication uh, that there might be a gut issue going on, brain fog. So for some people, apparently, if they there's some studies out there that are questionable, uh, that if you take too much probiotic, you can end up with a brain fog. So mm. that was interesting. I've lack heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Lack of motivation, heartburn, diabetes, you know, poor circulation, heart disease, high blood pressure, a range of other metabolic pathologies like cancer. We know. There are a lot of different types of digestive issues, right? IBS, mm-hmm. um, leaky gut, you know, uh, I know for me, I, you know, have some anxiety issues and <laughs> I don't know if this is TMI, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, if I don't poop in the morning before I get on the subway and I have to poop, it'll set off my anxiety. Mm. So there's definitely like some direct link between <laughs> And it, and it's, you know, something that I've felt like before interviews, right. I get like the gurgly belly. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh man, I got shit. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. We call that in the dance world as a dancer, we call that the PSP, the pre-show poopy. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a thing. <laughs> so I, I get a little bit of PSP and, you know, it's just another thing to kind of reinforce some of what I was saying that there is like this brain and gut connection and they're communicating to each other. Yeah. And that's just like, you know, personal anecdotal information that I'm sure people wanted to hear about. Uh, but it's important, right? Because it gives us a fuller idea of like the range of things that people can be dealing with. Most of the people I know who have IBS and other things in that realm tend to be like high stressed individuals. I will say that. Um, that's super anecdotal just from my observation. I'm clearly not a medical professional, so I don't know. But there are some like characteristics that I notice about people who seem to have some of these issues. And who knows? Chicken or the egg? Are they stressed out because they have it? 
Yeah. Are they stressed and then they got it? I don't know. Right. Like, and, and that's also something that you'll hear um, people talk about is like, you know, is it the central nervous system that's like dictating the microbiome or is it the microbiome in the gut that's like telling the central nervous system how to feel like they're, it depends on who you talk to, right? Like a biologist is going to think one thing and maybe like a microbiologist is going to say something different, right? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I really want to talk about some simple things, simple things that you could do to manage your gut. They're meant to sound simple because they are simple. And I'd love for people to embrace simplicity (laughs) when it comes to their food. There's highly processed food. We know that that exists. And then there's processed food, right? Mm -hmm. Cans of beans are processed. Right. Doritos are highly processed. These are not the same items. You know what I mean? (laughs) So if you don't have the time to soak beans overnight, but you want to eat legumes, eat the can of beans. Yeah. Because they're delicious. and And they have a lot of great things, micronutrients, macronutrients in them, like vitamins minerals, things like that. So yeah, the Doritos, not so much. (laughs) Right. In general, if we're, if we're going to talk about like highly processed foods, there is no such thing as a good, highly processed food, right? Like, and it's not to say like, never have the Coca-Cola. It's more to say in the 80% of the things that you're eating, that should not be one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. If you look at, look through the lens of like 80 to 90% of my food, should look like whole food, very minimally processed. If I look on the box, there should be things I could read and I know what they are and as close to a single ingredient as possible. Um, And that's just like an understood thing, period, right? The emulsifiers uh, that are in the food that store it on the shelf longer, those have been known to do funny things inside your gut preservatives and, like, and additives and all that right. chemicals oh, they're all saccharin, associated with yeah health saccharin issues and artificial sweeteners you know eh. yeah <laughs> like but again if you're somebody who digs a diet coke and you're having a diet coke once a month right it's not 80 percent of what you're taking in so you know yeah. know yourself like know know what this means to you and keep it as simple as possible but like try to avoid highly processed foods. They're really, really terrible for your gut. Eat fermented food. Yes. Yes. Eat fermented food. I bought a jar of kimchi because I read that and I was like, oh my God, am I only having yogurt and kefir? Like there's mm. so many, there's so many, and nori. I think I have seaweed probably more than the average Western. Yeah. I would assume. I don't know. Um, nori seaweed, by the way, if I didn't already mention that. Right. But- there's kefir, there's yogurt, there's sauerkraut, there's kimchi, there's nori, there's kombucha. Try to get kombucha that but like, doesn't have yeah, nine re- t- tablespoons of sugar in it. Real kombucha, you know, the bacteria that that is live will eat the sugars and mm. before you consume it. So it's a true fermentation. But unfortunately, a lot of the kombuchas that are sold in the stores aren't truly fermented it's a quick process kombucha so you're still getting all those sugars so you know if you're drinking it on a daily basis i would advise you to try to find a kombucha brand that really does the true fermentation but like we said if you're doing it just like once a month like you know i love a good ginger lemon kombucha i probably buy one once a month from whole foods 
I don't worry too much about the sugar content because I'm not drinking it on a regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, yogurt and kefir are also good culprits of adding a ton of sugar, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if you started buying yogurt for Archie, but the children's yogurts are inundated with sugar. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Like, I'm talking about like seven or eight grams and like a little like four ounce serving, which like, on the grand scheme of things, right, I have to, like, step back and look at the micro macro picture again, right? Like, for mm-hmm. him, we don't eat sugar like that, right? Yeah. So if he has this one little thing of sugar a day, I'm not too stressed about it. But I know that in terms of the population, right, and if we're talking about, like, what's going on out there in the Western world, children, what was the statistic they came out with? Children are, like, 50% of kids have diabetes. It's something yeah. I've seen. The World Health Organization actually just recently announced their new guidelines for when you're able to introduce sugar to children. And now they're saying it's best to avoid sugar or sugar added foods like fruits and things are fine. But like the World Health Organization just said, like up until two years old, you should avoid things with added sugar for your children. So something to think about. Um, so yes, yogurts are good, but maybe get the yogurt that has no flavoring in it right. and add a little bit of honey on your own. In general, you want to find things again, that are like the least processed in this realm. Uh, the sauerkraut that you're finding and the pickles that you're finding in the middle of the supermarkets. Yeah. If it's not refrigerated, right. then it's not real fermentation. So if right. it's on the shelf and it's warm, and it says refrigerate after opening, then that doesn't have the benefits of the live bacteria in it. So right. that's just vinegar and sugar to make yeah. it taste good. Right. I saw some places that suggested at least two servings a day of fermented foods, up to six servings a day. You could check out what the servings are on the back of your package, right? Usually it's somewhere around six ounces or something. But, you know, in the Western world, I, I don't know how many people are consuming fermented foods and maybe there's fermented foods that I didn't come across like there might be other fermented foods that I don't know about but I don't know that enough people are eating them and yeah I would say eat them try to find ones that you enjoy because Mm -hmm. if you look at like the diets around the world the ones that are more meat or pro animal protein centered like if you look at like for instance the German or Polish diet which is like most of my heritage is like that kind of Eastern slash Western European diets. If you look at, for instance, Korean diets or Japanese diets, there's always with those foods and those proteins, a fermented vegetable to go with them because it, like we talked about, it balances out the gut bacteria and it helps digest those foods that are, you know, higher in protein in a more efficient way. So even though, you know, you might be eating higher protein, higher animal food content, it does balance it out a little bit better and make it easier to assimilate in your body. And so a lot of the American Western diet is meat centered. You know, a lot of people are still to this day eating a lot of meat. And so I would just highly recommend incorporating more of those fermented foods to help your digestion. Yeah, I like meat, but the general like the gist of what I felt like I kept running into reading a lot of 
these op-eds and articles and and papers from like biologists which mm-hmm. i tend to trust science was that meat should be more like a side dish which makes sense right like the meat should be the side dish and the dish dish should be mostly plants right um you yeah know, i mean i think in general people aren't eating enough plants you know and as someone that was vegan for a long time i think that a good balance is what's necessary. Mm-hmm. I do think that leaner proteins, obviously, and I'll, I'm going to go into this a little bit, but leaner proteins have better health benefits than, for instance, something like pork. So yeah, there's definitely ways that you can incorporate protein in a more optimal way. Right. And it's not like, again, we're not saying like, don't ever have bacon ever again. Right. It's just knowing that 80 to 90% of the time, your meals are, are kind of really diverse, lots of plants, full of fiber. Yeah. Got some fermentation going on. You know, you can, you could take a pro- probiotic supplement if you feel like that's something that you want to include. You can talk to your doctor about that. Um, but then you really need to do the research on the company that you're getting probiotic from because most of them are bumpkiss because it's still a unregulated market. And so you just have to be careful about what you're consuming there. But yeah, that's really all I got. Eat fermented food, stop eating crap. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> complex carbs, eat complex carbs, yes. simple carbs. They're fine. They're not the worst things for us, but complex carbs, the more diverse the plants are that you're eating, when we're talking about things like fiber, and probiotics don't have to worry about that as much anymore Mm -hmm. because you're getting it from the complexity of the things that you're taking in the diversity of the things that you're taking in. So I, I I really do encourage people to like eat food, (laughs) not too much, mostly plants. And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that you talked about kind of vibe really well with what I'm going to talk about. And I said earlier, I think that the mental mind shift of enjoying your food and feeling the benefits of the way that you eat and how good it makes your body feel is what's really important. So like I said, if you're always focusing on what you shouldn't eat or the fear around a certain kind of food or, you know, the the negative impacts of food, then I think that that can have a big impact on how the food is going to affect your body and also just your mental health. And mental health is obviously a big part of your your longevity, which we've talked about it before. But anywho, let's get into some, a little bit more science-based things. We're going to talk about calories first, because I really just want to bust this caloric deficit myth head on (laughs) because it's so rampant in the fitness industry and in the diet culture, especially here in America, that you need to be in a caloric deficit to lose weight and people do it long-term. And there's all these diets like the keto diet or intermittent fasting or um, paleo diet or the whole 30 diet or whatever it is. If you break all of those down, if you really take an objective look at all of them, the main reason why people lose weight is because they end up in a caloric deficit, right? That's why. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what you're eating, basically, 
if you consume less calories than you expend, then you're going to be in a caloric deficit and you know, you're going to lose weight. But being in a caloric deficit, especially an extreme one for a long period of time, is not a great thing for your body and your mental health. It's definitely associated if you eat too little calories for your body, for your activity, for your health, for a long time, it leads to things like oxidative stress and inflammation. It leads to cardiorespiratory diseases, cancers, and a, a lot of mental health issues as well. So I'm going to yes. raise my hand. I'll yeah. need to see it though. Uh, <laughs> it also can lead to reproductive issues. Yes. Because yeah, the hormonal balance, especially when we talk about the female hormones, a lot of that imbalance can occur if you're in a constant, like restrictive caloric deficit. Especially if you're doing high intensity workouts frequently, like it's, it's so common, unfortunately, for you know, women in general to feel like they have to do high intensity workouts, be in a, a diet that restricts them to 12 or 1300 calories a day, which by the way, is the amount of calories that a young, like 10 to 12 year old person needs on a daily basis, not an adult human. So please, please read up on the science, not just on someone's Instagram, look into the science of it reaffirm yourself that the logic behind these crash diets or highly restrictive ways of living are just not healthy in the long term. Take care of yourself, fuel yourself. You're going to be healthier in the long run if you're giving your body the calories that it needs to thrive. That's just my main point about calories, basically. If you're hungry, eat. Yes, that is a really not, good rule. <laughs> not not too much. Mostly plants. I swear to God, I'm gonna say this. I yeah. can't tell you it's permeated my head and it's like it's like totally changed the way that I've eaten all my food. I love it. We'll just title this episode Eat Food Not Too Much. <laughs> also though, it is, you know, important to say that being in a high caloric surplus for your body for the long term is also detrimental to your health. So there needs to be balance. That's the, the not key. too much part. <laughs> yeah, the not too much part. That's the key as well as I would suggest not focusing on the number of calories, just like I would suggest to someone who wants to lose weight to not focus on the number right of your scale. <laughs> because calories in calories out, yes, it works if you're really tracking things. But for me personally, and I know for a lot of people, getting too obsessed about the numbers really causes just more stress, more fear around food, and a negative mindset around food. So I would highly suggest, like Laura said, eat food, not too much, eat things that are nutrient dense. I'm going to talk a little bit about macronutrients here in a second, but yes, please fuel yourself. Okay, so macronutrients. There's three main types. We talked a little bit about carbohydrates and proteins already, but we're going to also talk about fats. They all provide the body with energy and the nutrients that we need for optimal health. 
carbohydrates are the main and important source of energy for the body. So like, you know, we have different energy systems in our body and we use different energy fuels for different things, but carbohydrates are the main source. And like Laura said before, you want to eat complex carbohydrates. So these are things like whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. They're in general considered to be a more optimal source of fuel compared to simple carbohydrates, which are in processed foods, sugary drinks, things like that. Yeah. Don't forget your legumes. Yes. Your legumes and your lentils. Yes. I have those categorized more under proteins, actually, Mm, because they do have higher amounts of protein for like a plant-based source of protein. So Mm. that's something to think about. But yeah, so protein in general is what we use to build muscle tissue, really. So it's important, especially if you want to have, you know, quote, that toned look that a lot of people are looking for. It's actually gaining muscle mass. And so protein is an important element of that. And things like lean proteins like fish and chicken and plant-based proteins are great as well. And, you know, eating steak, I eat steak now. I love it. I don't do it super often, but I also know that there's other benefits to eating steak, like the amount of iron and zinc and other minerals that are really good, especially for a female on their menstrual cycle. Um, or someone who just had a baby, and I'm also breastfeeding, giving a lot of those minerals to my baby through my breast milk. So replenishing those things are important as well. Okay, and then fats are very important for different bodily functions, and especially hormone production, vitamin absorption. So like taking a lot of vitamin pills aren't actually, and, and supplements aren't actually the best thing unless you're combining it with healthy fat intake. So things like avocado, (laughs) just the first thing that comes to mind. What's another source of a healthy fat? Seeds. There we go. Olive oil, fatty fish, things like that to basically help support our brain function, especially. That's one of the things that uh, fat really do. If you look at a walnut, actually, this is really funny. The the walnut kind of looks like a brain. And it's really good for your brain. So eat some walnuts. And then um, I kind of touched on this already, but vitamins and minerals or micronutrients are important for our longevity and our optimal health. Magnesium is one of the bigger ones. And I think I read, it's off the top of my head, but I think I read that like almost 50% of adults are magnesium deficient. It's not surprising. Please eat real food and that will help. They're not eating their leafy greens. Yeah, leafy greens, I mean, broccoli. Seriously, I don't know that people. I don't know what people are eating, but it's not. It's not what I'm eating. <laughs> yeah, so it's. I mean, I laugh, but it's actually really distressing and kind of sad. The thing that really takes me back is like the fact that people don't eat beans. Like it's such a small amount of the population that's like not eating beans in this country. I think the number was like, like you know, eighty percent of the population doesn't eat beans, which is like Ugh. preposterous. Basically because they're delicious, but also because in terms of cost, like if we were to talk about all these things, especially these fermented foods, these fermented foods are expensive. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. learning how to do it at home is important. But like, if you're talking about beans, beans are cheap. Yeah. 
jeans are so cheap. And if you just need to satiate yourself and fill yourself up, it's such a great way to get protein or carbs, depending yeah. on protein, you know, carbs, fat. I mean, that's beans are high, you know, right? Pretty much in all of those things. And it just, it really, it blows my mind that like, first of all, it's just really challenging. I think for a lot of people to get access to the variety of foods that we're talking about, just yeah. like physically, like, do they have stores near them that they can get these things right. from? And then you're also talking about like economic status and like people just not being able to afford a lot of things. And it's just, I don't know. It's, I wish there was some other, other way to. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of uh, food and food injustice and social injustice that plays into the availability of food. And there's also things like, you know, the government subsidizing things like dairy products and eggs when they could be subsidizing plants and, you know, broccoli. broccoli and stuff like that too. So there's a lot that plays into it. I think it's important for people to recognize those things because people wonder like, oh, why doesn't this person eat healthy? They could just eat better. And, you know, people like, for instance, Gwyneth Paltrow believes where she thought, oh yeah, I could survive $30 a day still eating all organic, all plant-based items and then she tried to do it and she only got breakfast <laughs> <laughs> where did she get breakfast for $30 well oh you go to Whole Foods for instance and you go to the hot bar or like oh, their mm-hmm. you know their prepared things it's not cheap I think the hot bar of food at Whole Foods now is like $12 a pound mm-hmm. that to me is insane it's not even that delicious. No, it's not. So, <laughs> well, I also I think that is important, you know, to remind people and for them to remind other people that may have varying incomes and abilities to pay for things. Frozen food is still, you know, frozen vegetables. Yeah. Still vegetables, right? So, a lot of times I find that the frozen vegetables are easily easier to find and they tend to be a little cheaper than mm-hmm. the than the fresh, like the if fresh you go to products. like, yeah, my right. favorite new thing now is my Costco membership, because especially as a new mom and like Archie's eating real food now, we're getting huge bags, like a five pack thing of frozen broccoli is mm-hmm. like 10 bucks and it's organic and it's like this gigantic bag and it lasts us like two weeks. And it's amazing because like you're eating broccoli almost like every day here yeah, in this household yeah. now so yeah stuff like that like there's ways you know to go around it and to save a few bucks and still find nutrient dense foods mm-hmm. to make up the majority of your diet and that's like what we were talking about right you want to try to make up the majority of what you're eating with things that are nutrient dense vitamin and mineral dense things that have more of these quote natural ingredients in them and more like close to how they grew in the earth that's how you want to be eating most of the time studies have proven over and over again that processed foods things that are refined sugars refined carbohydrates saturated fats all of those types of ingredients are associated with an increased risk of chronic disease and a reduced lifespan so that's pretty much what do I want to say? <laughs> the main like sentence or like um, hypothesis that we're going with eat the majority of the time really healthy and you will live a longer life. And I just wanted to go over real quick a few things about mental health 
and diet because we talked a little bit about it um, already, but just a few facts for you. So poor diet is associated with an increased risk of depression. It's been found over and over again that diets high in processed foods, sugar, and unhealthy fats like saturated fats are associated with depression and other mental health problems. Eating a more nutrient-based diet, a nutrient-dense diet, are associated with less depression and less mental health problems. And then this gut-brain axis that Laura was talking about before with the microbiome and how it relates to our brain and that balance, it's bi-directional communication system between the gut and the brain. So new research is suggesting that the health of the gut and the management of your gut microbiome, just like Laura was saying, has a great effect on your mental health and can, you know, the more that your microbiome and your gut health is balanced and having a, a better state, it's going to reduce things like anxiety, stress, and depression. And then also nutrient deficiencies, such as like if you're deficient in vitamin B, vitamin D, which is very common, it shows that those also, those deficiencies have an increase in mental health issues and depression. So it's very highly suggested that you get, you know, sunlight into your regular routine because vitamin D you can absorb from the sun. And then also making sure you're eating foods like fruits and vegetables that have those vitamins in it to help manage um, those conditions and decrease your risk of those conditions. And kind of piggybacking yeah. off of what you were saying, the, uh, you know, gut feelings that I was talking about before and this like bi-directional relationship also leads a hand in creating serotonin, which already know creates mm -hmm. dopamine. So in terms of like mental health issues and also having a healthy gut, you know, there, there is a connection there in terms of your mood and in terms of how you feel and how healthy you are, you know, in, inside, inside of your intestines, inside of your gut. Mm -hmm. And another thing that can greatly impact your gut health and your mental health is alcohol consumption. So I just wanted to touch a little bit on this today, especially because there was just a New York Times article that was recently published by uh, Dana G. Smith. It's called Even a Little Alcohol Can Harm Your Health. And I just wanted to read a quote real quick from the article. It's the one of the opening paragraphs. It says, after decades of confusing and sometimes contradictory research, too much alcohol is bad for you, but a little bit is good. Sometimes some types of alcohol are better for you than others. Just kidding. It's all bad. The picture is becoming clearer. Even small amounts of alcohol can have health consequences. So that's, you know, the quote. I'll put the link to the article in the show notes if anybody wants to read it. It's a really interesting article basically saying that even moderate alcohol consumption is now showing, they've done, you know, numerous studies on it that alcohol consumption basically is linked to a shorter lifespan. And it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I can have one drink per day. So I'll just save them all up for Friday night when I go out with my friends. That is considered heavy alcohol consumption because it's not just the amount per day, it's the cumulative amount and the amount of alcohol in your body at once that also contributes to negative health effects and disease and cancer and things like that. So it's important to keep in mind that 
you can have both physical and negative, both physical and negative mental health issues. You know, obviously alcohol is addictive. It's something to consider as well. So if you choose to consume alcohol, it's important to do so in moderation. But now they're even saying that moderation might not be the best for your health for the long term either. So it's important to reflect on your relationship with alcohol consumption in regards to living a long and healthy life. Uh, Andrew Uberman, clearly we listen to this podcast a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Did you hear his podcast episode I that was did, about alcohol? I didn't listen to that one, actually. Not okay. yet. It had a profound effect on me and quite a few people that I know. I'm still drinking here and there, but like a lot less than I've ever in my entire life. I, I definitely got deterred just by just science. You know, I'm a sucker for science. And I know some some people that stopped cold turkey the minute they mm -hmm. heard the episode. And it's interesting because part of what he talks about is that, you know, it's just an acceptable cultural thing. Right. And he also tries to come from, you know, a very neutral standpoint where he's like, I don't have any emotions about alcohol either way because I don't really drink. I don't really like it. You know, but here's all the science. But 75% of the world population drinks alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that is a very large number of people. And I think that that's also why it's so challenging yeah. for people not to drink because it's just so acceptable. It's um, so ingrained into our social activities and things like that too. Totally. Happy hour, like coworkers going out for drinks, things like that. So, you know, there is this societal pressure to be an alcoholic consumer. And it's one of those things where you kind of feel out of the norm and isolated you know, there's that sense of isolation when you're not consuming alcohol. I like to call myself like sober curious. I'm probably a little bit more sober curious than my husband is at this point, but I think he's mm -hmm. also, you know, kind of cut back a lot because, you know, you also get older and it just doesn't metabolize the same way. It right. right. Like there's, there's also the very obvious things that like, I put this thing in my body, I get a little loopy and then the next day. I feel tired or I feel off or I feel, you know, something other than my normal self. And I, I feel like sometimes that should be enough, but it's not. I, I've definitely been hung over before and then I went out and got drunk again and got hung over again. Right. So like, it's interesting that like the feeling itself isn't, wasn't enough to stop me from doing it, mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. hearing all this science where I'm like, oh, it's straight up poison. Cool. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the reason why you oh. feel loopy and weird is because it is literally poisoning your poisoning. body. Right. And you can drink yourself to death. You know, it's, 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 yeah. there's a lot, but maybe we should add the episode to the notes. I think it'd be a good, yeah. Good yeah. I think bonus. I'll add that Huberman episode. I'll add the New York times article and yeah, I think that's a good place to end today. I mean, in general, we could keep talking about these things because they're all really like each topic within this nutri nutrition and diet uh, episode could be talked about in its own episode. And, you know, I could go on and on about food. I love food. I've had a big history with diet. And like I talked about earlier, and I also actually majored in sociology in college and my specialty or my focus was environmental sociology, specifically around food. And I wrote my senior thesis on the local food movement and how it is considered in my opinion, a revolution culture, because it offers, it basically offers the solution to the problem. So 
um, you know, eat more local food, go to farmers markets. I think that's really important too. It's something we didn't talk on, uh, talk about, but I, I like to go to farmers markets. I think that I can taste a difference if I go to the store and pick out produce versus if I get it from a local farm. So if you have that ability, if you have the resources and the time and the money, I highly recommend it. I think it's great. It makes a huge difference. Like yeah. a strawberry that you get from the store versus a strawberry that you get from the market. It's like chewing on wood versus right. like chewing on a berry, you know? Like, yeah. But, um, but again, yeah, like in theory, these are all great things. In actuality, I think we probably have access to it because we're in larger urban settings where these things exist. And I'm not sure... And I'm sure they exist in smaller towns too. There, there's like a farmer's market, right? If you're like living cl close to a farm, there's a lot of places that I don't know that they have the access to that kind of stuff or, or it's very local, acute to one part of the community. And then maybe those other members on the other side of town don't have any way to access it, right? Or, or they yeah. just don't know how to get there, right? But I mean, also, even just thinking about like where you live and the climate, like I live in Southern California, we have fresh produce you know, available year round, but where I grew up in the Chicago area, it was cold and freezing for six months out of the year. And I never shopped at a farmer's market when I was a kid. My mom fed us generally pretty healthy food, but I don't remember us ever going to farmer's market. I don't think they had them where I grew up. So, you know, it's one of those things that I think can definitely depend on, like you were saying, your environment, your climate, your the city you live in the access that you have so yeah if you have access to it take advantage of it totally and i'm gonna end by saying eat food not too much mostly plants <laughs> love it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for listening thank you for being here yeah thanks for being here with me i appreciate it i appreciate it too i'm excited to see what's gonna um next month yeah after this three-part series that we did what are we going to do next we got to decide we'll let you guys know <laughs> well thank you for listening check us out on the socials check us out in the notes love us like us share us that'd be great thank you thank you bye bye thank you so much for listening we appreciate your support and we would love for you to rate review and subscribe to titillating talks Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Titillating Talks and feel free to reach out to us via email, ttpodcastgals at gmail.com with any questions or suggestions. We would love to hear from you. Titillating Talks is produced by us, Hallie and Laura. And our music is by Cruise Cruise. We hope you found this episode titillating.